Hello. I'm going to be reading 1 Corinthians 7 and 8. Um, so yeah, here we go. Chapter 7. Now for the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was an uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you a judgment as one by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn, as if they did not. Those who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, an undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, 
and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries a virgin does right, but he who does not marry does even better. A man is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if a husband dies, she is free to marry another as she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. And in chapter 8, now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and from whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through all whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as being sacrificed to a God. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so I will not cause them to fall. All right, um, my name is Ryan. We are in a series talking about 1 Corinthians, and today we're gonna talk about 1 Corinthians 7 and 8. So I'm gonna pray real quick and start a timer so that I don't go totally off the rails, and then we'll get going. All right, Lord, I thank you for this community and that you give us a chance to continue to grow and to learn more about what it means to live the life that you've given us and to live that life with each other. Um, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say and that you would get me out of the way and that you would be the one speaking. Amen. Amen. All right, so like Josh said, originally the plan was that Leslie and I would both be speaking and I was hoping Leslie would come after me and like clean up any mistakes that I make, but... Sorry, you guys are like stuck with me today, so hopefully everything goes well. So today, we're going to be talking about singleness from the perspective of a single person. So this one is for all of you single people. Um, singleness is great, yes. So I just want to say that um, I felt very led to give this sermon um, I've had the privilege of being in a group this semester that Devin put on, talking about the intersection of being gay and being Christian, and singleness was a topic that came up over and over again. And uh, I had this feeling, like, gosh, like, we need to talk about this. There are all these questions um, people don't really know. They don't have a lot of hope or a lot of vision for what this looks like. So I had a feeling we need to talk about this. And at first I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. Like, I don't want to do this. This is very uncomfortable for me. So I said no, but I couldn't shake this feeling, and here we are now doing this. So yeah, this is happening. 
Um, so while I'm going to be speaking, sometimes directly to single people, sometimes directly to married people, but in general about the topic of singleness, um, this is for everyone. Like we are all one integrated body and what affects one of us affects all of us. And whether you're single or not, you probably know single people and hopefully you care about them. So I would hope that we, we all pay attention and um, I think there's something here for all of us. Um, if you disagree with anything I say, please come talk to me. Let's figure this out. I don't have this all figured out. Um, I think the Lord is calling us into like a new time of working this out. And I feel like I'm just like, you know, pushing us slightly in that direction, but I definitely don't have this worked out. And it's only together that we will get this sorted out. So if you don't agree, let's talk, let's figure out what's going on together. Um, let's see. So I'm going to draw like very broad categories here. So you're either, for the purposes of this sermon, you're either like single or you're married, and that's it. I recognize there's a lot of nuance in there, um, especially on the single side. There are people who don't know if they want to get married. Maybe they really want to get married. Maybe they really hate being single. Maybe they're like in the process of trying to escape being single. But for these purposes, all of those people are single. Um, just like one broad category. Um, yeah, and I wanted to extend an invitation to the single people as we're getting started to just take a minute and to think about your singleness and think about any like burdens or expectations that you have felt has been put on you as a single person. In particular, burdens or expectations around like dating or marriage and you know what that means and the weight that you carry because of that. And take that burden and just set it aside and be free to just be single. Um, be free to accept the life that God has put you in and to see what he's leading you to do in that time without any expectation of what may come in the future. So what are we going to talk about? Um, we're going to talk about like a vision for singleness and why it's important to have a vision. I don't have this vision figured out, but I have some ideas on why we need to be thinking about this. And then we're going to talk about um, freedom and the single life. This will be kind of a challenge for single people. And then we're going to talk about community or family life and singles. And this will be more of a challenge for people that are not single um, and helping integrate us into their lives. So a vision for single people. Why talk about vision at all? Um, one thing that I picked up on in our group talking about being gay and being a Christian and the struggles there is that a lot of people don't even know, like don't have a vision for being single. Like what, is, what does that mean? What does it look like to do that long term? And I think we have some big ideas in our culture that make it really difficult to even have a vision at all or ideas or attitudes. So the first one is that most of us just like passively accept being single. Like I was born single, I didn't ask to be single, just what was given to me. And I think for a lot of us, like, all right, that's it. Like, I didn't have to choose this, so I don't need to choose this. I'm just going to passively be here and kind of move through this. And another idea that kind of comes out of that is that singleness becomes this, like, waiting or preparation time for marriage. That that is the goal of being single, is to develop myself to be, like, a good spouse or something like that. And I want to I wrestle with both of these ideas and kind of see what we can do with them and how they really are just not very helpful for us. But first, let's look at um, 1 Corinthians 7. And we're just going to look at like the high level, like what is Paul doing here? So in his writings about being married and being single, um, it's very clear that he takes both of these types of lives very seriously. If he didn't, he wouldn't write about them, and he wouldn't write about them the way that he does. So that's clear. He's like, he holds them both in very high regard. Um, he's not elevating one above the other. He, he takes them very, very seriously. And uh, he has these prescriptions that he makes, these ideas that he's countering, and they're all based on like the context that the Corinthian church is in. And he thinks that being married or being single they're so important to take seriously that it's worth considering how the culture is affecting them and the ideas that are affecting them 
and to like counter those so that people can be effective disciples, whether they're single or married. And we may not be a part of the Corinthian church, we may not live in that time frame, we may not live in that same area, but we can still um, take Paul seriously in that we need to look at what's going on around us, and um, we need to see how are the ideas around us, how are the attitudes around us affecting the way that we live as single people or married people, and what do we need to do to counter those? Like, what is the prescription that we need? Um, there's one thing kind of funny about this that I wanted to point out. So the first verse of 1 Corinthians 7 is something like, Paul's saying like, so you're saying like it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. I'm like, who, like, who was talking to the Corinthian church that married people were like bragging to Paul that they were all being celibate? Like this is like one of the ideas that Paul was trying to counter. And I'm not going to talk about that, but I think it's really <laughs> funny that someone in the Corinthian church thought this was such a good idea that they wrote to Paul being like, hey, this is what we're doing. And Paul's like, what is wrong with you? Like, what are you, what are you thinking at all? Yeah, so I thought that was funny. I hope all of you think that's funny too. Um, <laughs> all right, so we're going to go back to these like two big ideas that I think we need to wrestle with. And the first one is this idea that we passively accept being single. And I think this is kind of like a unspoken idea, and I'm going to wait for the train to go by. Sweet. Very fast. Yeah, so this is like a kind of an unspoken thing. I think most of us don't talk about like, oh yeah, I'm just like passively being a single person, just like accepting that this is my stage of life. If anything, it's the not talking about it that indicates that we're passively just being here and not really caring and not like actively seeing what does it mean to be single and follow Jesus. Yeah. You know, we arrive here, most of, most of us passively spend our time here, and sometimes we like passively find ourselves exiting being single. We might passively realize that we started dating someone and not even know how we got there. And hopefully we don't passively move any further past that. I think, you know, in our community, we do a really good job of like creating these active structures around relationships and engagement and marriage. But where is that active structure around being single? Like, where is God to decide for being single? We don't really think of it that way. It's just like this state that we're in. Um, you know, if we look at the things that Jesus asks us to do, the ways that he describes living life, talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Loving your neighbor as yourself. This idea of like losing your life so that you can gain it. This idea of taking up your cross daily. These are not like passive things that you accidentally do or you just happen to do. These are all very active things that we must decide to do on a daily basis. So if that's like the, the model of following Jesus, then why would being a single person be any different? Why aren't we like actively choosing the single life that we've been put in and actively choosing how to follow Jesus as single people? We can't, we can't accept that Jesus calls us to all these active things and then just passively be single and not see um, the different gifts that he's given us and the different ways that he's called us to live out our singleness. So we'll dig a little more into Paul's ideas around singleness a little bit later. But I'll just say it's all centered around this idea of devotion to Jesus, which is not a passive thing. This is an active thing, actively devoted, actively obedient to God. So I would just ask the question, like, have we considered what it means to actively follow Jesus as a single person? As I thought about this, honestly, the first thing that came to mind is like, well, if I'm following Jesus as a single person, the main thing is like, I'm not having sex with anyone, and that's it. That's like the most active thing I'm doing. But surely there's so much more. Like, that seems like such a low bar for this life. Gosh, yeah. So if you are a single person, like, are you just like passively passing through singleness or passively being here and not being happy about it? Or have you integrated that part of you into the way that you follow Jesus? All right, so then this idea that being single is just a waiting time or preparation zone for being married. And I think this is one that we more speak 
about actively, um, sometimes implicitly, sometimes explicitly, this idea that marriage is kind of the end goal, it's where we go for fulfillment or wholeness, and like, if I'm developing myself as a single person, if I'm like serving as a single person, it's so that I can be more attractive as a mate, so that I can be like a better spouse. And this, to me, is like such a low bar, such a low expectation. Um, for sure, if you live the single life well, the effect should be that if you get married, you're like a good spouse. But to make that the goal, in my mind, is like borderline insulting. Um, and worst case, it's elevating marriage to be like the goal or the reward of our life, which is not what we want. We don't want marriage to be the idol, right? Um, so what if like, what if being a better single person meant, you know, being a better friend or being a better coworker or being more involved in my family or being more involved here in this church or just like looking at the life that God has given me and living a more healthy whole life because that's being a good steward of the life that God gave me. Not because it makes me a better spouse, but because God has given me a life and he's called me to steward it well. Um, I think Jesus invites us as single people to grab a hold of the life that he's offering us and bring it into all of these areas. Um, and if the side effect is that you become a good spouse, great. If you don't ever get married, then cool, God is still going to work cool things through all these areas of your life, and it's still really important that you're seeing the way he's moving and working in these areas. Yeah. Um, Jesus reminds us that marriage will not exist in heaven. And the, the conclusion that I draw from this is that if you're married, you are married to be prepared to be single for eternity. So that is the point of marriage in the end, is so that you can be single well for eternity. And if you're single now, you're like skipping ahead. You are already in the phase of preparing for what we will all be in eternity. So be encouraged. Jesus tells us that I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. But he doesn't say once you get married, like he's just offering that to us right now. Um, he also says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus puts no like preconditions or stage of life conditions on these gifts that he offers us. Um, you don't have to be married to accept the life that Jesus is giving you. You don't have to be dating someone to bear the fruit that Jesus is offering. Wherever you are right now, Jesus is for you, and the life that he's offering is for you, and you don't need to change anything or do anything different to accept that. I don't need to be married to live a whole, fulfilled life in Jesus. That's what he promises me right now. All right, so we're going to talk about freedom and singles now. So this will be like a little more practical, maybe, kind of moving on from like the high-level vision to like a more specific part of the life of being a single person. So what does freedom mean in the single life? Me as a single person, I can make all these decisions by myself, right? I can choose how I spend my time, how I spend my money, what I do with my resources, um, who I'm giving my attention to. If I want to come home from work and do like nothing at all and don't talk to anyone, great. I can do that. No one will be upset. Um, if I want to have like back-to-back -back hangouts with people after work and not get home till like 10 p.m., cool. I can do that. No one will be upset. I might be tired, but... I'm like bearing the, the price, the penalty for all of that. There's no one I have to ask about that. So I have like tremendous freedom and flexibility in how I spend my time. And it seems like, it seems like that's the case. It seems like I have all this freedom. But I think that as we, as we look at what it means to follow Jesus as a single person, we may find that like our, single, our freedom is actually much more limited um, for the good of our community and the good of ourselves. I think that this freedom that we have, it, it really is a great gift that God has given us, but it's also a great responsibility and a great opportunity that Jesus is extending to us. So what does 1 Corinthians 7 have to tell us about this? So in 1 Corinthians 7, 8, he says, um, Paul says, to the unmarried and widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. So Paul is like, 
kind of holding up himself as the, the, the person to be like as a single person, which is honestly like frightening. Like Paul is super hardcore. I don't think I could ever live a life like <laughs> Paul does. That's the standard of how I use my freedom. That's like frightening to me. Um, he also says, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? Or how, how he can please the Lord. And then uh, an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned with the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undevoted devotion to the Lord. So I would ask, like, have we taken seriously Paul's suggestions for how devoted singles should be to the work that the Lord is doing? I think we take seriously um, how much uh, freedom or how much like uh, control I should have over my own freedom, but do we take seriously how much of our freedom we should be giving back to God and allowing Him to control? Um, yeah, does this match our vision for how we individually and as a community spend time as single people? So if we look at um, chapter 8, I think there's also something here for us. So in the context, Paul is talking about this idea of food sacrificed to idols, which isn't quite what we're dealing with, but I think the, the spirit of what he's saying and his point at the end is, is really relevant to us. So I'm going to do like a slight like translation, different reading, hopefully not committing heresy here. We'll see. Um, if we can substitute food sacrificed to idols with free time spent on myself and kind of put that in your mind, then I think this will make sense. So I'm going to read three verses from the end of that chapter. If someone sees me, sees you, the one who is free time, watching Netflix, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to excessively watch Netflix? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died, is ruined by your freedom. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, you're sinning against Christ. Therefore, if watching Netflix causes your brother or sister to fail, I will never again watch Netflix so that I don't cause my brother or sister to fall. The point here is that the way that I spend my free time, the choices that I make, they are not just about me. They don't just affect me. They affect the people that I spend time with. They affect the people that observe my lives. They affect this whole community and my family and my coworkers. And everyone whose life is integrated with my life is affected by the way that I spend my time. And because I have all this extra free time, I have even more responsibility for using my time well and, yeah, just making sure that it is affirming to other people and not bringing other people down, not causing other people to stumble. Um, yeah, so I would just ask, especially if you're single, like, have you considered, as you spend your free time, as you think about how you spend your free time, how it affects the other people in your life, how it affects the people in your community. So where do we go from here? Um, some questions to consider about this. What effect does the usage of our freedom have on our community, on other single people, um, on married people? Is my use of free time like encouraging married people or making married men like regret giving up some of that freedom to get married? Is it strengthening marriages or is it like kind of contributing to them not being as strong? Um, are we mindful and strategic in using our free time to build up the body and actually rest? I don't have many super practical suggestions on what to do here, except for this. Spend time studying the life of Jesus, reading the Gospels, studying the person who perfectly models how to do, how to do, what, the Father see, do what he sees the Father doing as a single person, and remember that he is walking with us. So Jesus, as a single man, perfectly models looking and seeing what God is doing and doing it, and he is here with us. He has sent his spirit with us. He will guide us as we try to figure this out. Yeah, that's great. And then I would suggest just having honest conversations with other people about how you spend your time and asking honest questions in prayer about how you could or should be spending your time. Okay, now we're going to talk about um, 
community or family life, and single people. So this is more addressing like what I would think of as the difficult side of being single. Um, as a single person, there is, there is loneliness, there is isolation. We are more likely to maybe be independent depending on the way that we go. Um, this is not something that you will, you would experience as much, like if you get married, if you have a family, but as a single person, I don't have that like other person that's with me all the time checking in on me. Uh, I have to be much more proactive about that, or other people need to be much more proactive about that for me. Um, you know, thinking about our church community and the way that we integrate singles into the greater family here, would it be sustainable for someone to remain single or celibate for the long term within this church or within our family of churches? What would that look like? Is that, is that even possible? I think that, that is kind of the gauge of like how well, how good of a job we're doing. Yeah. I don't think most of us will remain single for the long term, but some of us will, and that's totally fine. But it's our responsibility to make sure that those people feel home and welcome and like they're part of the family that we are creating here. Yeah, yeah, so going back to 1 Corinthians 8, I'm not going to go through the whole like translation thing again. Um, but I think there's something here for us. But first, I just want to say that I am not wanting to be like critical or negative at all about marriage or families. Um, I think if you're married, if you have a family, that's a gift from God for sure. And with that gift comes a responsibility to share that well with the community. In the same way that I as a single person have all this extra free time and flexibility, that's a gift that I need to steward well. If you're married, if you're in a family, you also have a gift that you need to steward well. And it's your responsibility to make sure you're sharing that appropriately. So in this case... Um, an idol could be the way that you're spending time with your spouse, the way that you're spending time with your family, maybe the way that you talk about marriage, whether that's your own or marriage in general, um, the way that you elevate that potentially above different parts of life. So if you're married, if you have a family, I would ask you to think about like, what effect does your family have on our community, on our singles or on the other married folks in our community? Um, are you contributing possibly to single folks or folks in struggling marriages to feeling despair or loneliness and contributing to them feeling like they're in a less than family state in this church? Or are you building up those who feel relationally disconnected or unanchored and giving them a, a seat at the big living room table that we're building here and even the real living room table at your house? Are you pulling them into family and making them feel like they're home. Yeah, great. So what do we do with this? For married folks, people with families, I would just ask you to think about your relationship or your family and how does it affect the people in your lives and how does it affect this community? Is it contributing to our collective body and people feeling like they belong or our family? And then again, I would encourage you to go back to the Bible, go back to the Gospels and study the life of Jesus who so well modeled showing love and creating family out of people that normally would not want to be family with each other. Think about the 12 disciples and how likely it would have been for them to become 12 disciples without Jesus' involvement and the way that he modeled love. Um, yeah, and to know that he is walking with you through this. He is... He is here to help you model this and to, to guide you. And to remember that, you know, he told us that by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That, that is the standard that we're being called to here. So in wrapping up, I just have like a few suggestions for everyone. Um, first of all, pray. Like ask God, what is he leading you to in this? Like what is the vision he's giving you as an individual about this single life in our church. Whether you're single or not, um, you're either living this life or you have a perspective on this life. And I think God has something to say to people on both sides of that. So if you're single, I would encourage you to, to think about what's difficult about being single and communicate that to other people. Yeah. Don't just keep it inside. Don't just sit with it. Don't just suppress it. But actually 
tell other people. That way we can understand and we can help each other. And then I would also say, ask your friends about their needs and how you can support them. Figure out how you can use your extra freedom and extra flexibility to really love on and support the not married people in particular in our community. Or, sorry, the married people. And uh, then, if you're not single, if you're married, if you have a family, ask your single friends about how they view their singleness and what you can do to support them. And then, communicate to your single friends how they can support you in your current type of life. I think, like, if we don't talk to each other about this, we're not thinking about this, we're just, it's just all going to stay the same. We're not going to figure this out anymore. Um, we as individuals need to think about this, then we need to talk to each other, and I believe that's how God communicates like a collective vision about these types of things. Yeah. So I'm going to pray, and then whatever is next is going to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Lord, I just thank you that you meet us wherever we're at in life, and yeah, that you don't put any conditions on following you or receiving the full life that you offer us or bearing the fruit that you want to plant in our lives. And I pray that you just give us a vision for that in whatever phase of life that we're in, whatever type of life that we're in, that we could see that for ourselves and see that for the other folks in our community. Thank you. Amen. So I'm the next thing. Um, yeah, so I'm back. Um, I, I wanted to talk about giving today, and specifically, if you all remember from last week, I wanted to talk about that question that JVR posed to us when he was giving a sermon about the First Corinthian church. Um, and this question was meant for reflection, not to shame us, you know, but to like encourage us to think about kind of how we operate as a church. So he asked, if our church, if this body disappeared tomorrow, would the people from Denton notice our absence? And he also asked this question on like an individual level as well. Um, but I think this question was meant to like challenge us and to encourage us because, you know, when Leslie then gave the like financial review afterwards, you know, she showed kind of like the breakdown of that budget. And it was, yeah, I think the spirit really convicted me because if we can't meet, like, our basic financial needs, you know, we all saw the budget. There was not, like, a bunch of bells and whistles. It wasn't, like, you know, 50% to confetti, like, every week, you know, like, yeah. So I think, yeah, if we can't meet those basic financial needs, like, how can we continue to bless Denton, like, and expand our involvement in this community, in the greater Denton community in the future? Um, so I think that just question is really helpful to get the gears turning. Um, and yeah, I think it's really tempting for me to first like feel ashamed and be like, oh, and may, and like to want to measure like my worth as with like the impact on the Denton community, which I don't think that was the goal. Um, but I want to encourage y'all to not like shame is not from the Lord. So, you know, to dismiss it, send it back to hell. But also it's even more tempting for me to think that other members of this body will pick up the slack for me when it comes to giving, you know, because I can think like, oh, I'm only, I'm a young girl, I'm only 23, like, there are a lot of older adults with full-time jobs and more money and like, you know, that are out of college that, like, giving, that's kind of their thing, um, that they should do more of, and they should they should be, they should feel more convicted by this giving talk and feel led to give more, and I should stay the same where I'm at. Um, just being honest, <laughs> those are my honest thoughts, um, but ultimately, I'm called to be obedient to what God is calling me to give, regardless of, you know, other people's financial situations and what they're doing, and that trusting that he will put my money to work for his kingdom, and yeah, kind of what Ryan just said, like, that, like, I'm responsible with the gift that I, I've been given. I'm responsible to do with that what God wants. Um, so, yeah, it is there for my prayer that God keeps challenging me and keeps changing my heart and mind to see giving 
as an exciting opportunity to partner with him, to bring the kingdom to earth. Because DNC, like, he's moving powerfully in this church, so that's really cool. Um, rather than, like, seeing giving as an inconvenient obligation or as, like, a way to just steal my Panera fund for me. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to, yeah, that's my prayer for myself and for all of us as a body. Um, and I don't know if there's a slide, but giving can be made at tithe.ly um, or through Venmo at Denton North Church No Spaces. Um, and I don't know if this is the same for DNC, but don't use emojis in the info box. Yeah, and I would also encourage recurring giving is the best way. Like setting that up online is helpful because you don't have to remember it. Um, yeah, so I'll go ahead and pray for us. Um, dear Lord, thank you so much. Um, for all that you've done through this community. And I pray that you just, yeah, encourage us and uh, push us to like reflect on our decisions and to ask you how you want us to be generous. Amen. Thanks, Clarissa. And thank you, Ryan, um, for that sermon today, the half a sermon. He, he filled up the time, you know what I'm saying? Like... You know, he would have been in trouble for taking up too much time if we had had the full plan. Just kidding. Um, I want to remind a couple things, too. Like, obviously, when we read chapters 7 and 8, if you are either a married person or you are hoping that you'll get married or you just read the chapter at all and notice how much Paul talks about <laughs> married people, there's obviously a lot of things he says. And our goal with this sermon series so far has to been has been to, each two chapters, pull out the highlights we think are really important to highlight for our community we want to put attention on. And so, you know, that was, uh, singleness was a very important part of that, as well as a lot of cool things Leslie was going to do about both encouraging our married couples or people who are hoping to get married someday, as well as challenging them and kind of marrying some of the, no pun intended, uh, points that, that Ryan made towards single people to be very similar and slightly catered to married people as well. And so I don't know if we'll have a way to end up like putting her stuff on the podcast or posting or whatever, but if you're someone who read those chapters and is like, I'm hoping somebody's going to help make a little more sense of this married section and stuff. Like Paul says some challenging things, especially for that to that time. Like, you know, husbands, you belong to your wives also. Like being told that in that day and age was a big deal. Like it's not just one way. You guys belong to each other and then telling everyone that you're not your own. That's some challenging stuff. So anyway, sorry that you're missing out on that half, but I'm really grateful that we got to hear from Ryan this morning. So thanks again for sharing. Um... Clarissa reminded me while talking about the financial presentation, I meant to put that on our website this past week, so if you missed it, you can check it out or thumb through it, or if you had a question or didn't get to quite like look at some of the numbers as well as you wanted to, I'll put that on our website. It'll just be like at slash finances or something easy like that, and it'll be in the menu. We'll do that this week. Sorry about that. And if you, Because if you missed that last week or you had some questions, you can check that out, and you can also ask me or Leslie or any of our leaders um, questions you have about our financial update from last week. Um, Kaylee, can you come up and give some of your announcements wherever you may be? There you are. Hello. Okay, cool. So I just wanted to let everyone know that the cohort interest meeting is coming up. I don't know if we have a slide. <laughs> okay, great, great, great. Yeah, so this is just an info session. You're not committing to anything, but it's just if you're interested in getting more information about what the cohort does. Um, so you'll be able to hear from us who are on the cohort right now about some of the projects, initiatives we're doing, um, and how we're trying to learn. It's basically like an apprenticeship or a class um, for those interested in like adult ministry and church leadership. So it's after church next Sunday. The address should be up there. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Can you talk about the Ladies Book Club as well? Do you have that info? Okay, it's okay. All right, I got it. <laughs> ladies Book Club. I'm here. I've got the info. So, what? Oh, cool. Nice. Okay, yeah. So it doesn't start in June. It starts in July. So, anyway, you got a little more time to decide, but you have to let them know in June. Cool. Yeah. That info will be more accurate at the meeting if you go. So if you want the most accurate info, you got to go to the meeting. We're not going to give it to you now. We're going to give you some misinformation on purpose. So the Ladies Book Club, their like meeting to discuss the book that we rescheduled, has been scheduled for May 22nd from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. And I didn't ask a location. Did you? Oh, Kaylee's house. Nice. And Kaylee's house is, why don't you ask Kaylee after? She's right here. 
so we don't have to yeah exactly so um if you read the book or you even haven't yet you got actually a little bit of time i mean you have a couple weeks so you could read that so talk to opal or kaylee who they are in charge of the book club and you can hop in on that or if you have questions about that but it'll be a chance for you guys to get together discuss the book together and what challenged you, what takeaways you have, et cetera. So don't miss that, May 22nd, 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. And then Maginte. Maginte. There he is. That's like, I just, it's so tempting to want to say it in like a Irish-Scottish kind of way, you know? Yeah. Is that offensive? I don't think so. Um, whatever. Um, yes, worship, sign up. I've been saying it. Garvin's been saying it, things. Um, this is like the last day. Um, I'm like, at 1 p.m., I'm like closing it. I'm going to start creating the teams for our summer. Uh, so sign up, dentonnorthchurch.com slash worship sign up. Uh, like you got one hour left or something like that. I don't know what time it is right now. And so please sign up if you are wanting to do that. If you are part of worship team this spring semester and you're like, geez, this was really great. I want to keep doing it. You got to sign up again um, to be able to do that. And that's all. Um, Oh, there's also one question in there, because uh, I'm going to call out Clar Clarissa real quick. Um, there's one question in there where I ask, why do you want to be a part of worship team? Uh, don't put because. Uh, put some answer there. It, it, it was really funny. Um, but yeah, also add that in there too. That would be great. Uh, that's it. Sign up by 1 p.m. Bye. Um, <laughs> okay, apparently Sam was offended. Oh, he, oh, yeah. It's, you can't text me while I'm doing announcements and, and think I'm not going to mention you. That's just the, that's the risk. That's the risk. I have my phone out with the announcements on it, and I'm going to see every message that comes through. Anyway, okay, last couple of announcements. A few things. Do not forget these things. We've got a lot of announcements. We didn't get to do them last week. What'd you say? Oh, the McGinty. He's just kidding. He's just kidding. Um, he, I think he was more offended about how bad my Irish accent was more than anything else, right? Yeah, he wants it to be better. I'll, I'll go to theater classes. Okay, so the monthly men's breakfast that we are starting that we has been in the newsletter, but we did not get to announce it last week, is kicking off on May 21st, 9 a.m. at Ryan Plache's house, 1903 Misty Wood Lane. We're going to have this happen every month. The Saturday it happens might change a little bit, but we're going to have a men's breakfast every single month. So get used to that recurring schedule. Come hang out. We'll have like a short Devo and then hang and break bread together and enjoy each other's company at Ryan's house, so please put that on your calendar. And then um, summer small groups will be starting. Yeah, they'll be starting the week of June 6th. So if you are an adult who's not already in a small group or you're a student who's gonna be here for the summer, we would love to have you in our small groups this summer. It is such a treat every summer we get to have the students be part of our small groups. And some of our small groups like double in size and we get to hang out with students that we didn't know very well or we haven't hung out with in a while. So please, you're very invited. Some people have already been doing this and signing up even though we hadn't got a chance to announce it. It's just been in the newsletter. So please go sign up and we will get you the information soon um, of what small group you're gonna be in and where they meet and all that kind of stuff. And so if you go to dentnorthchurch.com slash small groups, there's a thing you can fill out and just put the dates you're available. Please click all that apply. We only have three days, uh, three evenings that small groups happen, Mondays and uh, Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And so if you're not available on one of those evenings, unfortunately, we don't have a small group for you, but we've got five total small groups. So just give us your availability and we'll disperse you guys through our small groups. And it's always so fun. So please do that if you're going to be here uh, this summer. And the last thing that is also one of the craziest things is it's so crazy. We are moving, some of you guys already know about this, but we're moving our church's like internal group that's on Facebook away from, yeah. Yeah, you know, this is why, this is why we did this. Because if you die in the metaverse, you die in real life. And not cool, you know, not worth the risk, I think. So we are moving our Facebook group off of Facebook to a different platform. And you can go to dentnorthchurch.com slash social network to go there. Um, basically, here's the two reasons why. There's a group of people that's been growing in all of our family of churches that just doesn't want to be on Facebook very much. Um, yeah, that's a larger, it used to just be Melissa only. And now there's like 30 people or so. Yeah. So the other group, that's right. The other group is people who are on Facebook. They're cool with it. But they don't see stuff that happens in the group because guess what? Facebook doesn't care. So 
they're wanting to show you ads, videos, parkour videos. I see a lot of skating wipeout videos now. Um, somebody sabotaged my, my uh, algorithm, and now I get tons of Friends content. I've never watched the show Friends. I get so much Friends content. Facebook's running out of ideas for me, okay? But it is hard. There's times we'll post something on there, and it'll be like, five people saw this. There's just so much happening on Facebook. There's Marketplace. There's, you know, all your friends from high school, et cetera. So both groups of people, those who love and those who do not love Facebook, will be better served by having something that's a little simpler, easier to get to, separate from your other social media stuff. And so go to that URL behind me, slash social network. There'll be a little video kind of guiding you on how it works and a way to sign up. And it's going to take some time, but we really care about having a way for our church to talk to each other. So uh, that's why we want to have something and not just like let the Facebook group die slowly um, and wither away. Because there's things like, hey, I, I need a ride from here to here. Or, hey, my car broke down. I'm over here. Can somebody pick me up this nearby? Or I left my water bottle somewhere. Or who made that awesome mac and cheese recipe? Or I've been praying about this thing. Or I saw this really cool video. Or things like that. We just want the church to be able to talk to the church and not have like it only have to go through some method of sharing it on Sunday or something of like sharing in a small group. And that's something that at best our Facebook group was able to and has been able to provide in the past, uh, just not super well the past like three years. So any immediate questions? I'll take two questions about this, this move, this change. Yes. Okay. Wow, what a good question. It's almost like Jess knew exactly what to ask. Um, another cool thing about this platform is that all of our churches are on it, are going to be on it. Yeah. But just like on Facebook, you can just go join only the Denton North Church group. And if you don't want to be seeing tons of stuff about a church that you haven't been to, you can just join the Denton North Church group on there. Um, but if you want to join all of them and see lots of stuff that's happening across the, our, our family of churches, you totally can. That's a great question. Uh, do you need a follow-up, Catherine? There is very much so an app, yes. And the app works really well. It's better than, uh, I know not everybody wants tons of apps, but I think it'll probably be the least frustrating way to use this because it's separate. You don't have to go type in the browser kind of thing. And there's a, there's a lot of ways you can manage notifications. You will not be inundated with notifications. I'll tell you that much. But it is one of the simplest ways. It's a really handy app. Those are all the questions I'll take right now because I don't waste more of y'all's time. Let's put up the chairs. If you have questions about this move, come talk to me after church, and I'll help you. But thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.